Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Today I'm talking to Dominique Roque about his book In Search of Perfumes, A Lifetime Journey to the Sources of Nature's Sense. Dominique, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you. Dominique, you describe yourself as a sorcerer, but this is a different kind of magic. What is the profession of a sorcerer? Well, basically, this is all about uh, going to the source or to the sources, in that case, uh, of perfume. So what are the sources of perfume? These are all the the countries, and there are many, uh, where the uh, natural uh, aromatic ingredients grow throughout the world. And my role has been for over three decades to, to go as close as possible to these sources so that I could collect all the ingredients needed by the perfumers to be on what we call their palette uh, for them to allow their creation and the creation of the famous perfumes that we're all familiar with. And you collect these ingredients in their raw state, don't you? Not in a refined state. Well, um, let's not confuse uh, what the farmers do and what I call the producers do. And both of this is happening at source. Uh, for instance, uh, just an example, you take uh, patchouli. Uh, so there are uh, farmers growing uh, patchouli bushes and patchouli leaves and harvesting them. And then this is bought by uh, a distiller who will use these leaves as a raw material and process them into an essential oil, the famous essential oils. And this is what I would be looking for, the essential oil in Indonesia, because this is what the perfumer will work with. There's always the the botanical state and then the perfume state like essential oils or other type of extract. Now you work with another profession called a master perfumer. What does the job of a master perfumer entail? How do you work with them? This is a very uh, intense relationship. A master perfumer uh, is, is a little bit in perfumery, like you know the, the very famous uh, chef uh, in, in terms of, of cooking, which means that there are perfumers and then the best of them or the most experienced, uh, the ones who have uh, created the most famous perfumes, uh, get the, uh, the name of master perfumers in, in their own companies. So basically, these are the people I was dealing with Uh, because they are the most curious about what's happening at the origin of the world and would I be able to bring them the quality they need, the quantities they need, and most uh, interestingly, innovations, trying to find some new notes because these guys absolutely need to be fed with uh, new ideas. So this is an intense relationship that developed for me uh, over my travels sometimes uh, getting to the point of bringing master perfumers in the field with me, which is quite an experience. We can talk about this later. And I imagine that both of you, you as the sorcerer and the master perfumer, have an extraordinary olfactory sense. Uh, No, (laughs) they do. I don't, if I may. I, I mean, I can smell and of course I've learned how to smell. But, you know, for most of us, we, we start 
uh, if you don't study really uh, smelling uh, and the others and and and, and the notes, um, it's it's a very underdeveloped uh, sense that that we have because we're not trained uh, neither in school nor so. Uh, it's very difficult to get into that. This is why those perfumers are, are trained and study for years and years uh, so that they, they, they memorize several hundreds, sometimes I, I would dare say thousands of different uh, smells because they, they need that so that they can work on a formula in their head even before getting to the lab because their memory is so uh, intense and so precise about these this smells that they would, they would construct, build the formulas in their head. And of course, I'm far from that, but it's, it's just I know enough and can, can smell enough to discuss the quality of a patchouli or of a rose with the perfumer. And, and the fascinating thing is that he will use his own vocabulary, his own words that I I try to understand and capture to understand what they mean and what they're looking for. So let's talk about some of those individual ingredients and some of them are very well known, some very exotic. Let's start with labdanum cystus. You describe it as ubiquitous in perfumes and an essential component of some perfumes. Yet on a trip to the Andalusian countryside, you say, I was launched on an aromatic and emotional journey from which I have never truly returned. Yeah, well, thank you for quoting, but it's very true. Um, th there's this combination that it was my, my first discovery of this world, of course, so very emotional, and also that cystus is absolutely incredible. It's You get to the, the plants that uh, release a, a very powerful scent that is somewhere uh, almost animalic. Ambery, very ambery, very warm, very strong. There's very few others that are as strong as cystus. So the cystus is this little shrub that gets covered in, in the summer with the heat, with, with a gum, a fragrant gum. For uh, thousands of years, uh, people have been trying to look how to collect this gum uh, because it's, it was so precious. And it started with the shepherds around the Mediterranean in, in Creta or in, in Cyprus, uh, getting their sheep uh, grazing through the, 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 the sisters' bushes and getting their hair covered with the gum that the shepherd would, re, would uh, <laughs> you know, uh, recollect in, in, the, in the evening. And uh, this labdanum gum is part of the, the, the few ingredients that really mark the origin of, of the perfumes for, for mankind. It sounds like a very masculine fragrance. It is, absolutely, because of this uh, ambery, powerful, animalic note. But the, 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 this question leads to something very interesting, which is that more and more um, perfumers will use any ingredient for masculine or feminine notes, depending on what you associate it with and, and the quantity that you use. So um, I know that the labdanum or cystus oil in, in, in various forms is also used for its warmth uh, in feminine perfumes. So I won't smell like an Andalusian sheep if I apply some. <laughs> no, 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 not, not, not at all. No, it's, it, it's a marvelous smell, really, truly marvelous. Let's talk about lavender. Lavender is one of the most familiar fragrances. 
a resinous herb, as I know it, and part of the family uh, in which rosemary, I think, and sage also belong. You call it the flag bearer of French aromatic products. Why does it carry that moniker? The history, as it happens, uh, so lavender is is present in in a series of uh, of different countries, and especially now because it it's grown so popular that uh, you find fields and very extensive fields of lavender in Australia, in, in England, uh, California, Bulgaria. But originally, it was developed and has grown as as an aromatic product in France, in in the hills of. Uh, uh, southern Provence. It is very interesting in the history of our industry because it is the mark and, and some kind of uh, flagship of the glory of Grasse, the famous uh, city of perfumes. And uh, lavender was absolutely key to the development of this industry. Um, and uh, in, the, in the beginning of the 20th century, the success of, of the, the perfumes in itself, their, their development, the demand was so large that the, the companies in Grasse had to uh, reflect on how to go from wild picking uh, in the mountains and in the hills to cultivation because they couldn't cope with the demand. So this whole story of how lavender gradually uh, conquered and covered the hills um, of, of the mountains of Provence is, is very fascinating with the evolution of the very small steels, first very crude, very rough, to uh, some more developed factories with big distillation tanks and all. So the story of lavender for France and for French people tells the story of the whole perfume industry. Let's talk about Rosa Samacina the scented rose, the damask rose. Now, this is truly exotic. You dub this fragrance the incarnation of perfume in the universal imagination. What's given it that status? Well, I think rose rose has been a constant fascination for, for, for mankind, uh, and, and that goes uh, traces back back in, in time. It was the very rapidly, it became some kind, in, in all civilizations, it became an incarnation of uh, women and, and femininity. So, um, so there has been this constant search, um, and it started in Persia, uh, Iran, uh, where the, the, the rose, this rose originates, constant search to capture, how do we capture the beauty and the essence, the true essence of the rose? That has been a, a search uh, for centuries and centuries. So the, the Persians, the first mastered what we call rose water, which is you basically you boil the flowers and, and the fragrance gets into the water. You condense your uh, distillation and you get this fragrant water. That was for a long, long time, Persia was, was there were caravans and, and merchants traveling and, and selling rose water throughout the Mediterranean. And uh, Islam and the Islamic cultures got completely crazy about the, the smell. They, they used the rose water for everything, for purification of the houses, of the mosque and everything. And then something uh, incredible happened is that at some point, people realized that there was more in the rose than just what could be captured in water. And this is where was invented the essential oil, one of the first essential oils to be mastered. And I'm telling the story about this Mughal uh, emperor who discovers this very shiny thin layer of uh, rose oil that decanted in canals on a very, very hot day of, of, of a wedding day. 
And this was very major in, in, in the, uh, the happening of, of modern perfumery because it's all based on essential oils, which is capturing really the, uh, the absolute uh, total value of what is in a flower. So rose essential oil, which became very famous, especially in Bulgaria, because this is where the sultans had decided at the time of the Ottoman Empire that they would the best gardens were in what became after that Bulgaria. And, um, and, and when you go back to uh, 1880, uh, before the First World War, the rose oil was sort of the queen of all perfumes. And, and people would be crazy about the Bulgarian rose. There was, rose was Bulgarian and it was the queen. And very interestingly, after the communist era, some people in Bulgaria managed to get back their factories that were uh, confiscated by, from them and revive them. And today, the, in, in May and June, the Valley of the Roses in Bulgaria is something absolutely incredible and, and completely alive. Bergamot. Here's something that people might be familiar with through Earl Grey tea. It originates in Calabria, as I understand, and that's also the famous seat of the mafia, but that's another story. But I've never seen the fruit that's the source of this fragrance. If I ever had the chance to smell fresh bergamot, what would I experience? It would be a beautiful experience. The fruit looks very much like a lemon, but a lemon of very irregular shape and size. And also its color is a little less shiny yellow and goes into the greenish. So because it's a, bergamot is a hybrid between a lemon tree and a bitter orange tree. And uh, that led to an, an incredible perfume that is captured in the, in the peel, of course, hidden in the peel of the fruit. But it's also, it's as fragrant as bitter. So um, drinking bergamot juice is very difficult, although it's, it's, it's proved uh, to be excellent for your health. Um, but uh, the, the scent of the peel compared to a lemon, to an orange, a sweet orange or bitter orange is incredible. It's rich. It, it, it joins freshness to uh, strength and, and power. And really, it's addictive. You go to these fields, you pick up a fruit, you scratch the peel with your nails, you get it to your nose, and you can't remove it. You just can't, can't help but keep smelling it and smelling it and smelling it. So the true, genuine uh, bergamot essential oil is a marvel, and it was part of the origin and the success of the famous Eau de Cologne that was created at, at, at the beginning of the uh, 18th century. Jasmine is fragrance I associate with summer evenings, which I understand is the moment they release their fragrance. You write about that as something approaching absolute beauty. What is Jasmine to you? Yeah, it's another very mysterious um, flower and, and product. As you say, this is a flower that waits almost for darkness and for the night to release its perfume. So which means that in, in perfumery, uh, the tradition is for the pickers to go to the fields as early as possible. I've witnessed in, in Morocco uh, flocks of uh, young women pickers going to, to the fields at, at, at four in the morning because that's where uh, the flower is most fragrant. And, and gradually when the sun sets and starts to warm 
the plantations, then uh, it's like the sun is capturing part of this um, of this fragrance. So very fascinating for that. And of course, the smell, which is almost uh, impossible to describe. It's so rich, so enrapturing. Uh, it has everything. It has uh, the, the green aspect. It has the, 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 the sweetness. And, and the result of that is that when you're completely seduced by rose, I would say that you're, um, you're almost uh, overwhelmed by jasmine. It's like you immediately feel that something extremely strong is going straight to your brain. It sounds just like love. <laughs> yes, you could say that. Yes. In Search of Perfumes takes us through some of the most exotic scents and fragrances. Some are familiar, some not so familiar. Cinnamon, benzoin, patchouli, vetiver, peru balsam, tonka beans. But the one that intrigues me the most and captures my imagination is vanilla. It's both a beautiful scent and a wonderful flavour. Also, perhaps one of the most expensive fragrances, uh, flavours. It's comparable with gold and truffles, as I understand it. What makes it so valuable, so exotic, and yet so ubiquitous, so widely imitated? It's truly remarkable that wherever you go in the world, uh, whatever people you meet, everybody loves vanilla. It's a universal appreciation. And this is not so, so, so common. So there's, there's some kind of mystery there. It started with the Spaniards uh, getting to Mexico and, and loving the, the, the kind of uh, weird combination that... Uh, Montezuma was, was drinking, which was a mixture of vanilla, cocoa, and uh, pepper. Immediately, uh, the first Europeans wanted somehow vanilla. Uh, and it was very difficult. Uh, we don't have the time to tell the whole story, but um, there was a, a mystery because it's a vine, right? And it was producing fruits in, in Central America because uh, um, a fly was doing the job of pollination, but people didn't understand that. And when they they planted the vines uh, in different areas and countries. It never produced fruits until someone in the, in the, the island of, of Reunion uh, discovered that you had to pollinate by hand if you wanted to have fruits. Anyway, so the success was immediate. And, and I think you, you described it. Uh, it's this combination of taste, something that you want to eat, and at the same time, something that fascinates your nose. So vanilla talks to your mouth and talks to your nose at the same time. And uh, really, uh, vanilla has been used uh, a lot for, for, for everything you eat. But the perfumery got gradually seduced and addicted. And it's incredible, the development of vanilla extracts in, and they are used in perfumery. It's, it's in many, 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 many perfumes. The fragrances we've, we've spoken about so far have mostly derived from herbs or, or flowers. You also extract uh, fragrances from timber. And when I was small, my brother returned from India with a gift of a miniature chess set made from sandalwood. I actually never played chess with that set, and I would only open it to inhale that deep, exotic, mysterious fragrance. And I quickly close it because I didn't really want that fragrance to be lost. What is it about sandalwood that's made such an impression on me? Because you've met one of the uh, odors, smells, scents, call it what you want, 
that are at the origin of uh, perfume and mankind. There's maybe a handful of them. Uh, you got frankincense, olibanum. You got cedar, the, the, the famous cedars that were uh, on the mountains of, of Lebanon. And, and definitely sandalwood is part of them. You have to understand that in the search for, in the first search of perfumes, and we're talking back 5,000 years here, um, of course, the woods were prominent because people would go to the forest and one way or the other were discovering that some woods had incredible odors. Uh, and, and sandalwood is uh, incredible in the way that it's a wood that smells both woody, but also uh, milk, some milky notes. And that combination completely overwhelmed uh, the Indian spirits to the point where uh, it became totally symbolic of the Hindu culture, that they would use sandalwood in every aspect, uh, using the wood, burning it, putting it into powder to mix it with other things to put on their forehead um, and, and, and using it in their rituals of prayer. So, and, and as you say, using it for, for sculptures. The problem of that, uh, like uh, other examples with, with timber, as you say, is that uh, greed uh, led uh, to uh, almost, you know, the, the, the trees disappearing from India, which has been a, a very, very, very uh, dire situation, which leads to another very interesting story, which is where the Australians stepped in and decided that they had the possibility because they had the land, uh, they had the climate, uh, and they had the, the potentially the money to recreate sandalwood in uh, northwestern Australia uh, near Kununurra, which I, I was fortunate to visit. And this is an, an incredible achievement. What the Australians have done there is, is amazing because they really revived a product that was about to disappear and not just a product, but a symbol of, of something incredibly strong for the history of mankind so when you go now and when you you walk in the, in the young you know the oldest are 15 17 years old uh, plantations but already with majestic trees in in australia you can you know it's 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 warm <laughs> you got the smell but it's also a warm feeling to the heart that this is taking place in Search of Perfumes expresses a very deep respect and admiration for the people that grow and process many of these scents. You seem to have developed special relationships with many of them. What is it about these people and the products they produce that connects you so closely? I always use the, the image of a, of a tapestry. I mean, for me, discovering step-by-step um, step, all these traditions, all these countries, uh, is extremely uh, emotional because you realize that these people throughout the world have kept things going that perfectly could have disappeared along the way. Uh, the fact that uh, on a Olibanum tapper in, in Somaliland is doing exactly uh, at the same place, in the same way, with the same tool, the recovery of the, the tears, the olibanum tears, like it was done 5,000 years ago, like it was done when the, the Queen of Egypt, Achepsut, was, was trying to recover olibanum. This is, this is just amazing. This is just 
the story of mankind. Perfume is telling the story of mankind. So when you meet the people who have inherited this and who take the trouble, who have the strength, the energy, the intelligence to continue this, they continue weaving uh, the perfume tapestry of the world. And this is just fabulous. It's fabulous. And what is even further than that, some are conscious of this and some are not, but, but they still keep doing it. Some are inheritors of their own families. Some have just were tempted to create their business, but it continues. And the fact that finally you realize that on the palette of the perfumers, not so much has been lost with time. The preservation of this sense and of these traditions is just something that you can't help but marvel about. Dominique, it's a wonderful story, a wonderful book. And thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you very much. I've been talking to Dominique Roque about his book, In Search of Perfumes. It's published by Welbeck, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.